Hi everyone, it's Greg, and here are some podcasts to check out during this season of Lent in March 2021. It's been a year since the COVID pandemic shut down church life as we knew it, and we're taking this opportunity to talk about virus pop culture on this month's Popping Collars. Special guest Shayna Watson comes on our new Popping Collars game show, The Canon, as we all attempt to draft the ultimate collection of Kevin Costner films. Our journey through the movies of 1990 takes a strange detour on Going on 30 as Betsy and I discuss Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. On The Sacred Six, we've arrived at season three of The Wire. Listen to special guest Eric Matoye break down the pros and cons of the Hamsterdam experience as we discuss the episode Back Burners. Finally, it's time for another PC book club, but with a twist. Enjoy the early April Fool's shenanigans. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars popped. Hey, this is Greg. And this is Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a popping collar side project where we cut to the chase, cut it out. <laughs> cut it out. Now that, that takes us into a different pop culture genre. That where we take a little off the top. Maybe. With movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at Edward Scissorhands. Snip, snip, snip. Avon calling. This is some huge house, isn't it? Hello? Why are you hiding back there? You don't have to hide from me. I'm as harmless as cherry pump. Those are your hands. Those are your hands. I think you should just come home with me. I just saw this strange guy driving with Peg. Did you get a good look at it? Hi! Scissors! Whoa! Circle handshake you got there, Ed. <laughs> Kim, this is Edward who's gonna live with us. Well, this must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Those things are cool. Can I bring show and tell on Monday? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend? Ah, <laughs> uh, is there some special lady in your life? Hey, the whole doctor skewered kid. Just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. Grab your weapon! All along, I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. I can't. I have a brief description of Edward Scissorhands. Very brief. Very descriptive. Actually, not descriptive at all. Betsy, would you like to hear it? I would, because this is a hard movie to wrap. You can't, once you start digging into any details, it's it becomes a very hard to explain. So I would imagine this is 
brief. So apparently the good folks at Letterboxd agreed with you when they did the write-up for this movie. Yes. Because they wrote simply, this is about a small suburban town who receives a visit from a castaway unfinished science experiment named Edward. Even receives a visit, not exactly accurate, but that's fine. That's true. He's kind of abducted. Betsy, what is he? He is slightly abducted. It is. There should be an Amber <laughs> Alert for Edward Scissorhands. Uh, no one's looking for him, though. Uh, no one's Betsy, cared. what is your history with Edward Scissorhands? Uh, I think I saw this in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. I think I was all in on, Very on Edward Scissorhands. I mean, this is prime Gen X tech territory, mm-hmm. you know. That teen angst, I'm not understood, who can really love me, identity stuff, and like all of that. Oh, just shaking my fist at the heavens. I've got to go listen to my Cure records. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Lots of Robert Smith vibes, for Mm -hmm. sure. But yeah, so I I definitely watched this, watched it with friends. It's a renter, right? It's a movie that parents would watch too. Right. I think the now looking at it again through this lens of the suburban overtones of this movie that I, I would imagine. I wonder what my parents would have thought about it at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I came to this movie late. Really? Like, and, and even now, this is one of those movies that holds that weird kind of space in my mind where every time I start watching it, I ask myself, have I seen this movie before? Um, because I, I had no history of watching this movie when I was a kid. So I would have come to this movie as like a young adult, uh, Edward Scissorhands just kind of slipped by. It was well, never, I think if you look at this movie from a romantic, cause I mean, what is the drive? Is this a romance? Like, how would you, what kind, how would you label this movie? I yeah. think, who, how are we pitching this to young Greg? I, exactly. I don't think so. And then it might not end up in the adult parent collection because these are just a bunch of weirdos not at all this was a weirdo yep weirdo movie no tom cruise yeah exactly although uh fun fact i think tom cruise was up for this role like uh in an alternate universe he was uh he was pitched the role of edward scissorhands um and according now this may be totally fabricated but according so to allegedly, what, allegedly. Uh, this is total alleged, okay. but according to what I read, uh, Tom Cruise asked too many questions about the character and then he was removed from the selection process. Get out of your <laughs> own way, Tom Cruise. What, what, what sort of meta situation were you looking to go into with Edward Scissorhands? <laughs> He's probably wouldn't like that his face would be all messed up and he'd be underneath a lot of makeup. That's right. That's right. No, you don't come off of, come on. You don't come off of Born on the 4th of July and go straight into Edward Scissorhands. Absolutely not. Oh my gosh, come no. on. No. You go into Days of Thunder. Everybody knows that. Jeez. Yeah. Come on. Please. Um, all right, general thoughts. I'm so glad we got Cruz into this one. Oh, so good. He's in every damn podcast <laughs> we do in this series. <sighs> general okay. thoughts on the movie. Betsy, what are your hot takes? So watching it again, I think I was most struck with how everybody treated this as a completely normal, abnormal thing that was happening in the movie. My favorite react shots were always Alan Arkin, who didn't yeah. seem really phased by anything. Totally. Well, this must this must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Yeah, Edward, dear. I think he prefers Edward. Oh, sure. So what have you been doing with yourself up there in that big old place? I bet the, I bet the view must be spectacular, huh, Ed? 
Edward. Yes? Mm, no, I, I just... See all the way to the ocean, I bet, huh? Sometimes. Alan Arkin so gives you Alan. Right, like your teen daughter's camping with her friends in a van, who cares, you know, or right. whatever, you know, we're just really, you know, make sure the game is loud enough so I can hear it on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like that element of like this whole town is weird. Like you're looking at the whole thing and the Sherbert colored homes. This was filmed in Florida, by the way, Greg. And so Absolutely. all of that, you know, Diane Weiss character just looks at him and it's just, you know, Peg is just like, oh, you can't see up here by yourself. You know, guy in a weird black buckly outfit with right. like, you need to come home with me. And it's that suspension of everything that takes you into that fairy tale of Burton. It's what makes this such a magical kind of thing. You know, this was based on a drawing that Tim Burton did as a kid. So there's this suspension of what, what is odd and strange. Mm-hmm. I find that part interesting, but then where do you set that level of what is the, what, when does it border into odd and strange? The way Tim Burton takes on oddity, mm-hmm. what is what is contemporarily or normally strange. I find mm-hmm. that an interesting conversation in the movie. What about you? I have two. One is very small and one is a little bit bigger idea. So my small idea is simply this. Old Winona Ryder, not what you want. It's it's not not great. Old Winona Ryder. Hold on, are you saying young Winona Ryder? No, I'm saying young Winona Ryder when she portrays an old lady. Not oh, what you oh, want. Oh, no. Oh, that was terrible. That oh, was my just... God. We're talking <laughs> high school play bad level acting of old. And of I think a high lady. schooler did the makeup on that. Oh, my God. I think the makeup artist quit after doing all the Edward Scissorhands makeup and was like, <laughs> I can't. Handle it. You guys handle this last shoot by yourselves with go your very to, weirdly large cartoony furniture. Exactly. So go to, go to any that. local community theater, like wearing a mask and safely distance, obviously. Hold uh, on. And- Can we get a little more voice quiver? Can we get a little more voice quiver, please? <laughs> and you will Thank see you. better old acting than Winona yeah. Ryder. Let <laughs> me tell you about look. it. Okay. Okay. So that's my little thing. My second, my second hot take is a little bit of a bigger idea. And I wrote it this way. There was a period of time where directors with a particular aesthetic would get more money from studios to just make cleaner versions of what they were already doing. So the Coen brothers fall into this category. Mm-hmm. Tarantino obviously falls into this category. Richard Linkletter, Wes Anderson, like the Tim Burton. These are like they start with a movie, like an indie movie that has a very particular aesthetic. And then they get signed to like a studio movie to basically just make that film again, just make it look better. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it feels like once you're an established indie filmmaker, what you're given to do is a Star Wars or a Marvel movie. So I'm thinking of like Ryan Coogler or Ryan Johnson or Chloe Zhao or Taika Waititi. It's not like take a Taika movie and make a cleaner version of that. It's like, here, you go make Thor, right? I mean, right. It's, it's a little weird. It is a little weird. So how are you saying that? How are you relating that to Edward Scissorhands? It's pretty obvious that Tim Burton had a very particular aesthetic. He was given Batman. So I guess kind of he's walks in a little bit of both worlds. He was given Batman and then Batman makes 
all the money and he can basically make whatever movie he wants and he ends up making Edward Scissorhands. I mean, that's what I've thought about this movie is that it is, this is Burton saying, I want to go do what I want to do. One for you, one right. for me. Right, and but I mean, I'm. it's curious that like Tarantino has never done that, right? Or Wes Anderson's never done that. He They just take the money and make, you know, prettier versions of what they were already doing. Well, and some of that is when you're when you're working on Tim Burton produces more. I mean, there's more volume of stuff coming from Tim Burton and his whole kind of creative factory that he kind of builds. I see Wes Anderson and Tarantino and others having more. This is my aesthetic and my projects, and these are the one. And I'm totally focused on one at a time. I'm not developing multiple things at at a time. I'm mm-hmm. really completely i mean and i may be completely wrong with that but it really feels like makes each film kind of this precious thing but where burton's like oh let's dabble in animation and let's do this and let's do this and we got danny elfman on board all the time and you know and like he's got his group you know let's create another something with johnny depp with renona Ryder, with these actors i live working with and and so it kind of the the contagiousness of that creative process it always feels like it's moving yeah faster yeah I just thought it was interesting. I just think we're we're living in a different time now where if you're pegged as like a specific, you know, if, if you're pegged as a director with a specific vision, you're more likely to get sort of veered off into a particular IP rather than, oh, Ryan Coogler, we love Fruitvale Station. Here's a bunch of money. Go make another, you know, version of that or like a, you know, a, a more sort of studio version of that. Like, you just don't see it. Anyway, it just it just occurred to me as I was watching this movie that we're living in an age where everyone kind of every sort of promising director has the Tim Burton career. And so it kind of makes me wonder, like, what's on the other side of Black Panther for Ryan Coogler and what's on the yeah. other side of the Eternals for Chloe Zhao, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, so what's the best scene from Edward Scissorhands? I love the haircutting scene. Oh, interesting. That's, That's not where I thought favorite. you would go. I may, and maybe it's because I am in my mid forties and I'm looking <laughs> at these women in this community and their lives are seem very small and their world seems very small. And that suddenly there's this new and different thing happening. And he goes from, you know, and he's doing bushes and then he's doing dogs and that transition to then cutting the hair of people. I mean, Kathy Baker as a sex symbol in this movie. <laughs> she is going for it. She is hilarious. She is, she makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, if, if Edward's kidnapped, he's also sexually assaulted. Yes, he right? is. Yes, he is. And so, but her toes curling while he cuts her hair, it's just really well done. But then at the end, when he sits down, Diane Weist. And nicely and sweetly cuts her hair as this mother mm-hmm. figure for him. Yeah. And it's I the way he thing. studies their head, you know, he'll he, like turn their, yes. turn their face like back yes. and forth. For and that we can very, it doesn't take a lot when your hands are scissors to have you, the, the very tender moments with, right. with the scissors in the metal. And that we very quickly can turn into, we're cutting up the little right. brother's face, trying mm-hmm. to help him. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the Kathy Baker thing. It was almost like, uh, you know, the way that the women are portrayed in this movie, they're either in their homes or in their yard. They're very sort of yes. hidden. Or on um, their phone. They're sort of tucked away. Home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for someone to actually pay attention to her. What about you? What was your favorite scene? Um, I have two. I would probably say that 
the best scene for me is Vincent Price's death, which mm. uh, is just so sad and poignant and tragic, you know, but sweet at the same time. It's it's just mm. all of these different emotions going on yeah. uh, in that moment. So I would say that that's probably the best scene. However, the scene that will always, it's never not funny is the waterbed scene. <laughs> Set up here in a little, little full queen size bed here. It's all made and everything. Good. There you go. What's the matter? What's wrong? <laughs> she get you nervous? You've been cloistered away up in that castle too long. You don't know anything about the wonderful world of teenage girls. They're all crazy. Here, so straighten right out. What is it? Lemonade. When uh, uh, Edward is sleeping in Winona Ryder's bed and she comes in from her camping trip and and is surprised to see him there. It's just I didn't know a stuffed hilarious. animal could cover up one puncture though. I was unaware that <laughs> well, that the bed wasn't slowly one, but leaking not, for the but, whole day before she showed up, but but not several water beds. Uh, water well, and that that is also this. You're worried for Edward. You're worried for the bed. Right. Because then there's the horror movie element of coming in and somebody's in your bed. Right. Like it's it. He does a great job with the tension inside all of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Well, and it's natural tension too. Like as soon yeah. as you see that it's a waterbed, you're like, oh, scissors for hands, waterbed. Peg, not, Peg doesn't see it. Peg, go Peg well. didn't quite pick up that. that was <laughs> not really gonna go well. Best performance of the movie. Johnny Depp is really good. Where are we on Johnny Depp? Before we go further. <sighs> he has been labeled problematic. Right. Being abusive to women. Potentially. Potentially, allegedly, in his right. life. Uh, it does mean that he's been dropped. He's dropped from mm-hmm. that Harry Potter extension. What's that mm-hmm. called? From uh, the Fantastic Beasts yeah, series. So mm-hmm. he's been dropped out of that. Again, I mean, as we've talked about with other performers on this show and others, it's he has a great gift for acting mm-hmm. and he uses that here. But I think my favorite character that I enjoyed kind of watching was, was the Diane Weist character. Yeah. Peg. The light concealing cream goes on first. Then you blend and blend and blend. Blending is the secret. Mm-hmm. More concealing cream. Your complexion is so fair. Now this has a touch of lavender in it. Give it a try here. Close enough. Okay, this should do the trick here. Hmm. I have another idea. We'll cover up the scars and start with a completely smooth surface. I really enjoyed her, her trying to deal with his face, her just kind of constant reaching out. The way she evolved some over the, over the course of the movie, that she doesn't stay 
the same, you know, we're still going to do this Christmas party. People might not show up, but we're still going to decorate and we're still going to, it's not almost not delusional. It's like, she knows they're not going to come. She doesn't go on a huge journey, but I really liked her, her optimism and her trying to make something different from her life. Right. And like the excitement of getting like the Avon equivalent person, like on the phone, like, Oh, they called me. They heard about us. You know, then they're on the talk show together. And, she really wants to offer him love, mm-hmm. which is what even the Vincent Price is an inventor, the way he had humanized all of the machines in his shop and given them all eyes and all personalities. And maybe that's because he's lonely, but to then create someone as is in a child parent type situation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm with you on Diane Weiss. She's just such game for this movie. She's mm-hmm. just all in on this character, which is, which is great to watch. Quickly on Johnny Depp, uh, I would say that he's always better at if he's understated. Because I feel like once he gets into like pirates territory, he's just doing too much, you know? Yeah. Like he never plays anything big. Like even, you know, spoilers, and we'll get into this, uh, Anthony Michael Hall's death. Like it's it's not right. like a no situation. Okay. It's like, no. that's just not who Edward is. So he's not gonna, he's not gonna play it that way. By the way, I have a top five, Betsy. Speaking oh, of actors in this movie, I have a top five. Top five Brat Pack transformations in movies. Oh my gosh. Okay. Top five transformations for Brat Packers. All right, I'm ready for it. All okay, right, count five. me down. Uh, hold on. Is there an honor? Hold on. Is there an honorable mention where <laughs> you're on. cheating? And before doing we get started, stuff? before we get started, uh, I have two controversial things to start with one is uh james spader technically a brat packer yes oh he yes. hangs out with them but i don't know if he was ever he, well no he's in he's just the he's just kind of bad he's in pretty in pink for god's sake absolutely okay all right okay so yeah. then if if james spader counts then honorable mention mention is any bald spader movie or show any okay. anytime after spader went bald uh, so counts blacklist <laughs> just exactly. all in the transformation to blacklist. Okay. Exactly. Okay, great. All right. So now number five. Number five. Allie Sheedy in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Do was you remember she Allie Sheedy movie? was in Home Alone 2? Yes, she was. She was. She uh she what's plays the, like an, what's happening? She plays like an airline worker, like a like what is it, like a ticket counter person? And she's totally blonde, total short hair. Massive transformation. Huh. You would never know it was Ali Sheedy. All right, number four. Number four, Judd Nelson in New Jack City. Oh, yeah. I got to agree with that one. Yeah. Give that up. Goatee yeah. Judd Nelson. Right, right. Goatee changes everything. Who knows? Exactly. Who is that man? I don't exactly. even know. All right, number three. Number three. Okay, another controversial selection. Is Robert Downey Jr. technically a Brat Packer? Yes. Okay. Then Robert Downey Jr. in less than zero. Okay. Although I was tempted to say Tropic Thunder, but Tropic Thunder is problematic. So it I'll is. go with less than zero instead. You can go with Iron Man? No? Nah, he's basically RDJ in Iron Man. I guess that's <laughs> He's spent the last decade playing himself. This is true. In Marvel movies. Yes. Number two, give it to me. Anthony Michael Hall and Edward Scissorhands. I mean, he goes all... from the brain to the jock. It's a total switch. All beefed up. Well, and I think he would love the irony of that because you do then the opposite with Johnny Depp, who's going from like 21 Jump Street and Cry Baby 
Mm-hmm. Right? Can we imagine the John Waters recommending to Tim Burton that he play this role? I want to be on that phone call so bad. How was he to work with, John? <laughs> right? Like, Mr. Waters. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall with that. But it, it's like you get like kind of I'm I'm this teen heartthrob and I want to switch that around. Right. And then we get I'm a nerd, but I'm going to now be the teen heartthrob. Number one. Number, number one. Brad Pack transformation. Brat Pack transformation is Demi Moore, G.I. Jane. That's pretty good. Boom. That's pretty good. Drop the mic. Walk away. I got some stats about the stats, movie. Stats, 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 stats. Let's do it. Edward Scissorhands opened on December 7th, 1990. Oscar bait. So Oscar or is it Christmas? What is it going for? Is well, this a Christmas movie or an Oscar? There's, well, there is Christmas in the movie. Like, I mean, that's a good point. I bet it's kind of a family holiday to go for then, maybe. Yeah, probably. Now, it got obliterated because Home Alone came out like the same week or something. <laughs> poor speaking, Edward Speaking of Home Alone, poor Edward Scissorhands. Home Alone, a massive hit, by the way. Wow. Like, it's the only movie people were seeing in December of 1990. Uh, Edward Scissorhands has a domestic gross of $54 million. Wah, wah. Not a hit. The number 20 grossing movie of 1990. It is the number 1,600 top grossing movie of all time between. Oh, oh Lord. Oh, this is, I'm not going to know what some of these movies are. I feel no, like. You know, feel you're like... you're going to know them. I'm well, know. actually, there may be one that you don't know. Okay. 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 Here we go. Flirt, okay. Mary kill. You get Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> the Verdict. Is that a John Grisham? No. Uh, the Verdict is a Paul Newman vehicle from the oh. early 80s. Oh. Newman. Yeah. And on the other side of Edward Scissorhands, you get Paranormal Activity 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, making it easier for me, Paranormal Activity. Go for it, Betsy. Flirt, Mary kill. Okay. I mean, if I'm just going to say, if Paul Newman is in any of the movies in this... I will always marry that movie. <laughs> I've never seen the verdict. I don't know whether it's any good. <laughs> Paul Newman's in it. His dressing is in my You're fridge. In. His All blue right. eyes are in my heart. I'm going to pick him. So nice. I'm going to marry the verdict, which nice. is a film about a lawyer sees the chance to salvage his career and self-respect by taking a medical malpractice case to trial rather than settling. Sounds Very good. Sounds great. It. Sounds like All a right. good movie to marry. I'm going to kill Paranormal Activity 16, <laughs> whatever that, whichever one it is. And then I'm going to flirt with Edward Scissorhands, but maybe at a six foot safe distance for scissors and for purposes. If I haven't seen the first three Paranormal Activities, will I know what's going on in Paranormal Can I jump in on this one? Is that okay? Asking for a friend. This one's one of the easiest ones we've had as far as the kill. <laughs> so easy. Okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? Same? Because Paranormal Activity 4 apparently killed the franchise. So let's go ahead and throw it in the kill list. I'll swap Flirt and okay. Mary. I'll flirt with the verdict since I haven't seen it yet. Edward Scissorhands is a good hang. You know what? I could watch this movie again, and yeah. I could watch it again, and I could watch it again. There we go. So, uh, so I'm all good with Mary and Edward Scissorhands and adding it to the Greg Knight VHS collection. There we go. Yeah. All right, uh, Edward Scissorhands has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. No. Yeah. People like it, except for one person. Uh -oh. There's one critic that doesn't like it. Does Raj not like this movie? 
Raj hates it. <gasps> what? Here we go. Come on, it's heartstrings, Raj. No, All Raj. Right. Raj is not. He's not What's okay. What's he with say? This. What's he say? He says Burton has not yet found the storytelling and character building strength to go along with his pictorial flair. Two out of four stars. Boom. All right. So he is calling him out for being all about the look, mm-hmm. but not about the acting. And He's character. fine with the Burton aesthetic, but he doesn't think that there's any there there. Well, and especially because Burton wrote this screenplay as well. So, yeah, this is one of those where he's taking credit for the whole thing. Right. So and I, I could see that, you know, that he he's more aesthetics than he is substance. Mm hmm. I, mm-hmm. I can see that critique. Okay, Raj. Uh, Janet Maslin, a little more upbeat on this movie. Okay. Uh, the film and literary critic of the New York Times. She says, uh, Mr. Burton invests awe-inspiring ingenuity into the process of reinventing something very small. 3.5 out of 5 stars. So she's going for the fairy tale aspect. So this mm-hmm. is a fairy tale, and it's like a modern-day fairy tale. They exactly. Up with the bad grandma. Winona Ryder telling the story, and this is mm-hmm. why it snows and in our town. By the way, I want to see the movie Bad Grandma starring Winona Ryder. <laughs> Winona Ryder. It would be amazing. How did it do at the Oscars? No wins at the Oscar. However, it was nominated for one Oscar. Couldn't believe it when I saw this. Uh, Betsy, what Oscar was Edward Scissorhands nominated for? I mean, there's part of me that wants to say Danny Elfman, but I don't think we were at the point where Danny Elfman was getting nominated every time he did something. Not yet. Although Batman was huge for Danny yeah. Elfman. So you would be on to something, but no, it was not yeah. Danny Elfman. I mean, I'll go for the more meta choice here because it's all it's it's a storyline as well. I think is it makeup? It is makeup. Yes. Good job. Yay. I thought you were 50-50 on saying makeup or costumes, and you no. went the right way. Yeah. Best makeup, Edward Sidney. Quite a story, yes? Any questions for Edward? Yeah. Get way over. Stand right up. What's been the best part of your new life here in town? The friends I've made. Any other questions? Have you ever thought of having corrective surgery or prosthetics? I know a doctor that might be able to help you. I'd like to meet him. We'll get that name after the show. Thank you very much. That's very nice. Anyone else? Yes, stand right up. But if you had regular hands, you'd be like everyone else. Yes, I know. (laughs) I think he'd like that. But then no one would think you were special. You wouldn't be on TV or anything. No matter what, Edward will always be special. Let's talk about the legacy of this movie. Mm -hmm. 30 years down the road, I have written down outsiders. The way the movie portrays feeling like you are on the outside. So it's hard, you know, 30 years away from this movie, it's hard to think about the time when this movie came out and that pre-internet world where you just don't feel like you fit in and you don't know where your people are. Nowadays, it's, it's a lot easier to connect with folks that have a similar view of the world as you do Sometimes for good, sometimes for ill. But back in 1991, if you were like the outside kid, it was hard to find your people. And that you may be the only person in your town. Then thinking about some of those filmmakers that you named earlier, how they name their outsider status in their movies by going off in some, like if you think about a Wes Anderson, going off and creating a whole genre 
of what a movie looks like so that people mm-hmm. will look at other people's movies and say, this looks like a Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. so that you have then you're creating your own inside. But I think that this, so, you know, when we think about who is this movie for, I think the legacy speaks to that. You know, when you think about Edward Scissorhands as kind of your stereotypical theater kid on, mm-hmm. you know, steroids of weirdness, right. That we're really outside, right. But that we're this creative genius. Yeah. And, and it takes someone noticing that about us. And I think, I think about that around a lot of kind of romance movies aimed at Gen Xers. It's this somebody seeing me right? for real, right? Mm-hmm. A movie that we're probably not going to talk about on this show would be like Benny and June, mm-hmm. right? That he is unique. She is mentally challenged. Yeah, that they find each other and that people would deny the uniqueness of that love. And so, and sometimes it works out that they're together. And sometimes it works out in like Edward Scissorhands world where they are not, you know, keep, keep aware in your world because there might be something you miss Yeah, in the specialty and, uniqueness of yourself or someone else. And what's fascinating is that this is a trope. Edward Scissorhands is of a piece with lots of other movies that have come before that are really bedrocks of movie going. So mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands is the Frankenstein story, but it's a which is story. like a classic movie. Edward Scissorhands is a Beauty and the Beast story. Edward Scissorhands is like the Jewish Gollum myth, right? right. Like it's 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 as old a story as we have in culture. And so it's interesting that we have to keep telling ourselves this story all the time that, you know, these things that look or maybe feel unlovable are actually lovable creatures. Well, and that we are a world that would think that we would see it and appreciate it, but that ultimately we are a world that destroys it. Right. We we burn, we, we drive Frankenstein back to the castle and burn him. Just like this movie does when they drive Edward back to his castle. And then you start to wonder, well, what's what's the more freakish? The castle up on the hill or the strange kind of carbon copy suburbs, you know, that the only thing unique about them is what neon color paint is on the outside of their house. The look and the vegetation, there was something more natural about where Edward lived. It actually looked like it wasn't like a movie studio set. Mm-hmm. Even though it probably was, but like that, then where they were in the in the suburbs, it looked it looked more real. You know that sort of commentary on the suburbs. You know, Tim Burton's always been, I think, a director who champions the outsider. We didn't talk about Batman 1989 on this show because I, you know, as much as I like Batman. You know, it's it's not an Oscar movie. Like it's it's just a fun time at the theater. It's you know, it's fine. But you know, something that most people don't notice when they watch that Batman movie is that it barely has any Batman. Like it's mostly a Joker movie yeah. and a crazy Bruce Wayne movie. Like yeah. it's just there's like there's no Batman. And then Burton kind of doubles down on this with Batman Returns, which comes out in 1992 where it's basically just a penguin movie. I mean, it's it's fascinating because he's just not interested in a hero. He's not interested in a hero. He's interested he in villains. Misfits. Exactly. He likes conflicted characters. Yeah. Much more interesting, for sure. Yeah. So who is this movie for then? 
Gen- with this whole conversation of outsiders. Gen- outside outsiders and generation. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is for kids who are like, who understands me? Because you're right. In that pre-digital world, when you know, I would watch Brat Pack movies and mm-hmm. I would be like, everything looks like New Trier High School outside Chicago, John Hughes tells me. So like I, I'm gonna believe that. Mm-hmm. And that I, 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 but I go to like this fake high school, like this faux version of high school. That's not real high school. That sort of idea that where I live is not the center of the universe. It's out there somewhere. But mm-hmm. for a kid in the middle of nowhere, looking at this movie and being like, oh, I feel like Edward Scissorhands. Totally. Yeah. This one is for the Cure fans. It's for the Depeche Mode fans. Yes. It's for the NXS fans. It's for the people that just don't fit. What is your rating for this movie out of five? All right, I gotta get to my list here. I'm gonna also give Everett Scissorhands a four. Okay, above or behind Awakenings? I would say behind. What about you? Uh, I give it a four out of five. I wrote, uh, this movie starts strong. The problem that this movie has, and I would kind of go along with uh, Roger Ebert on this, it meanders to the climax. It gets to the pivotal moment of the film, and then it just kind of wobbles until it gets to the end. Why did you nominate this movie, Greg? Good question, Betsy. Because I think that we're about a year away from our first Tarantino movie, which I don't think we're going to talk about on this show, because as much as I like Reservoir Dogs, it's not, you know, it's not the best of what Tarantino is. I might, um, I was in college and I thought that I was like, I just discovered something. Oh, yeah? With Reservoir Dogs? I did a little bit. We'll see. We'll see. We're about a year away from Slacker, which is Richard Linkletter's first movie, which is going to get us into Dazed and Confused, which we'll definitely talk about on the show if we're still podcasting by then. We talked about uh, Steven Soderbergh last year, his first effort with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It just occurs to me that Tim Burton is one of these filmmakers who... No matter what, if you start watching one of his movies, you know that it's a Tim Burton movie. Like, you know when you start watching Sweeney Todd that it's a Tim Burton movie. You know when you start watching Dumbo that it's a Tim Burton movie. You know, it's like he just has his own specific film language. And I think that, as I said before, Edward Scissorhands, I think, is the prototype Tim Burton movie. And I think that it's a bold choice of his, you know, coming out of Batman when he can make any movie he wants to, this is the movie he makes. And I I think that it says a lot about him. And I think it says a lot about just sort of filmmakers in general and how they see the world. It's like, if you're just going to give me all the money in the world and say, make whatever you want, then I'm going to make the best version of like what's in my brain. Um, it yeah. was interesting. We did Big Fish here as, as a musical a few years ago at school. And it's just, he has, his movies all have, even with their weirdness and the fantasy and everything, the heart of them is all real mm-hmm. and true and very soft and vulnerable, even though there are a lot of frightening or disturbing things that are around it, right? Yeah. And he plays with that idea of light and shadow and who people are and what you should actually be afraid of in the world. Yeah, you should actually be more afraid of that suburb than you should be of that creepy house on the hill. Right, because God knows what's happening behind the walls of the suburbs. Exactly, the castle is empty. Right. Yeah, and so. you can be go up there and be creative and mm-hmm. 
and do all of that. Whereas there's a lot of expectation and eyes on you out in the rest of the world. Yeah. Good times. Edward Scissorhands. Glad we got a chance to talk about it. Yeah, me too. All right. What's next? Next up on our list of movies from 1990 comes an Academy Award nominated movie and the number one grossing movie of 1990. Is that right? No, it's probably the number two grossing movie of 1990. It's Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore in Ghost. Oh, good. Next time. Betsy, am I to take from that meandering sigh that you're looking forward to? I mean, the with- pottery scene one more time. I just. <laughs> It's right up there with the Bernie memes from the inauguration. Like, I have seen Bernie memed into the pottery scene. Ghost is our next effort. Betsy, thank you for trimming the hedges with me as we tool around the suburbs. Oh, Lord. Which uh, topiary would you pick if you had a choice? I like the ballerina, but after he cuts like the leg or the arm off, maybe like I, I found that like, I love the way he defaced the things and it was all this limb cutting <laughs> his literal limbs and figurative limbs all being cut. Like I thought that that was just it was just an easy way to show that he was going off. I like the giant running thing. Yes. Actually, I also like, was it was it a dolphins like jumping in and out of oh, the yeah, ground? dolphins? Yeah. Oh, and of course, the giant hand. We wouldn't like yeah, so, hands. So. Very nice. It looked like a comfy chair to sit in. It did. We got it anytime, Greg. We'll see you next time. Bye.